0: ACAST.com.
2: Hey there, Foreign Policies podcast team here. We're pretty excited about our second season of Heat of the Moment, and think you might be too. Each episode, we share stories from the front lines of the fight against climate change. If you haven't already listened, check out one of our latest episodes, When Climate Change Means You Have to Move.
1: We're in the midst of one of the greatest moments of human migration in recent history. Wars and unrest in the Middle East, political tensions in Latin America, and ethnic clashes in places like Myanmar have caused millions to flee their homes, looking for safety and security for themselves and their families.
2: Thousands of Afghan citizens are still fleeing the country and are looking for refuge around the world.
1: But there's another set of migrants, those who are fleeing because they've determined that their homes are no longer safe from the massive forces of climate change.
0: There are also thousands fleeing growing climate emergency. If that
1: you've happens. heard about climate migrants in the news, they might be coming from low-lying island nations that are being inundated with flooding.
0: Already, really two of its eight islands are on the verge of going under, swallowed by rising sea levels
2: and coastal erosion.
1: Or from countries that have suffered increasingly intense heatwaves and drought.
2: And as water has become even more scarce, farmers worry there may be no harvest season this year.
1: The United States alone. isn't spared from this trend. Flooding is an increasingly urgent problem for cities like New York and Miami.
2: Historic flooding as Ida traveled across the Northeast, parts of New York and New Jersey received up to a foot of rain as the New York City subway system shut down.
1: And out West, the wildfire season keeps expanding. It seems like each year new records are set for the number of acres burned.
0: Right now, out of control wildfires are raging across California. Thousands forced to
1: evacuate and firefighters desperate. Now, some people in California are facing the same tough choice as people of the Marshall Islands or Fiji. Is it time to pack up and go? And if so, where?
2: I didn't at the time see things getting better for wildfires in California. And so we were just always kind of had that in the back of our minds. And the Midwest has been talked about as a climate refuge and places where the impacts may be much less.
1: Climate migrants, destination Duluth. That's coming up on today's podcast. You're listening to Heat of the Moment, a podcast about the climate crisis and those who are working to fix it. I'm John Sutter. Today's story features someone who never expected to see herself as a climate migrant. In fact, as director of Drawdown Labs, which is part of a climate solution organization called Project Drawdown, Jamie Beck Alexander would often spend countless hours trying to help other people in far-off places deal with the effects of climate change. But then a few years back, she realized her own living situation in California was no longer going to work.
2: Life in the Bay Area was pretty idyllic. It was just, yeah, a wonderful place to be early in my career and a place to start a family. And I always used to say that it would be a really hard place to ever leave.
1: What were you thinking about the future when you were living there with your family? Were you thinking like, okay, this is a place where we're going to have roots and going to stay? Or did it always feel kind of like a temporary location?
2: It definitely felt like we would be there for much longer than we were. And even I, as someone who I would I would call myself a bit of a, you know, sort of more on the more alarmed and concerned side when it comes to climate change. And even I thought we would be there through maybe even, you know, my four and six year olds graduated from high school. And here we are. They're not even in first grade yet. And we left. So that was certainly not the plan at all. You know, I certainly knew that wildfires were, were a thing there, but certainly did not expect that the timeline would be so short. The wildfires there became untenable for us. You know, I've, I've worked on climate change for a while now, and I always thought, including when we lived in California, that I was working on climate change for other people. Like I you know, I started my career um, in the foreign service working at USAID and lived in Bangladesh for several years and thought, this is who I'm working for, you know, for these low-lying coastal and small island countries where, you know, climate change is going to be an existential threat for them or for, you know, my kids and their generation and other groups that I thought of as kind of more vulnerable.
1: I mean, I think that's really interesting that you were working in like the field of climate change, right? Like in thinking of this as like this global problem, and there would be these other like frontline communities that would face a lot of impacts in a warming world. Was there a moment or a time period where you started to think like, Oh, God, like this is something that is affecting me in my life in California. This isn't like an over there kind of problem.
2: Yeah. I mean, during the campfire in 2018, I got emails from friends and colleagues in Bangladesh saying, oh my God, are you know, are you and your family okay? Like we're seeing what's happening on the news. To me, that's one of the early misses on the part of climate communicators and, and people like me that we always talked about climate change as, you know, sea level rise in the year 2050. I certainly never thought about wildfires in the year 2018. <laughs> So I think that paradigm shift where, oh, wow, I'm not only working on this issue for other people, but right here at home.
1: You said 2018 when the campfire was the wildfire that took out the town of Paradise, California, essentially, right? Um, what did that sort of look and feel like from the place where you sat and your your family sat?
2: Yeah, um, it's really emotional to think about. There was no precedent for what happened during that fire and then for the hazardous air quality that just sat over the city of San Francisco and the broader Bay Area for two weeks that were, you know, couldn't go outside. Kids weren't going to school and it didn't feel like there was an expert to turn to, like even meteorologists didn't know how to talk about it. I remember we emailed a pulmonary expert at UCSF who, you know, was quoted in an article in the San Francisco Chronicle to say, what should we know about having a kid with asthma living in 400 AQI, um, where the air just comes right in the, the cracks in your windows, you know, where fire alarms were going off inside homes, inside our apartment building, because it was so smoky and inside the apartment. Wow. I think everyone was sort of asking this, do we stay or do we go question?
1: So, you know, there's obviously like quite a bit of science that tells us that in a warmer world and in a drier world, um, which is, you know, playing out already in the American West and, and lots of other places, that these kinds of huge wildfires become more likely, more frequent. And I think like as that happens and as other aspects of a warming world become more and more a part of our daily lives, rising seas, bigger storms, all these things. I think there are a lot of people who are thinking like, okay, is the place that I live and have thought of as a refuge, like, is that place safe? Like, is my home safe anymore? Or do I need to consider living somewhere else? And you're, you know, a person who grappled with those questions and ultimately decided to move. I imagine that's just like such a huge and like emotional and personal decision. Like, I'm wondering if you could talk me through, what that was like for you, the process of actually making that call.
2: Yeah, um, 2018 was definitely a turning point. You know, I think it changed the way that I thought about home. And then certainly, you know, the pandemic last year, coupled with another extraordinary drought in California in 2020, sort of was the final straw for us in just kind of saying, okay, this is time for us now. So yeah, so we loaded up in our camper van and drove out to Minnesota just thinking we'll spend a summer here, you know, summer being wildfire season in California, and then um, we'll probably head back. And then we just really, really loved Duluth and decided to stay.
1: You know, when you think back on the last few years and your journey from California and the wildfires there, and then, you know, to Duluth seeking refuge from those things... Or is there anything new that you've learned either about yourself or about the issue of climate change in thinking about what you and your family have, have been through?
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember when we were driving here from San Francisco and we had like a three and a five-year-old and everything we could fit inside of a camper van and kind of left like pretty pretty last minute. We were like on the way out away from the west coast we hit a bunch of wildfires like that we could see from the the highway and i remember thinking like this is the first time in 10 years when i actually my worry about the global climate change had shifted entirely to like worry for my family's like personal safety and it was such a striking like shift from worried about this existential generic far off um problem to like oh my god i gotta get my like my family to safety.
1: We met in Duluth earlier this year and I, you know, I spent some time with the mayor and others in the area. And I mean, it was telling to me that city officials were describing Duluth in that way. Now, you know, like uh, this is a place of climate refuge. And I think when they say that they mean partly that the city sits on Lake Superior. So there's, there's a huge supply of, of freshwater, water. Um, less vulnerable, you know, to wildfires and drought than say like California might be. And it's known for being cold, right? Like, I mean, this is like pretty far north in Minnesota. So it's, it's, a, it's a colder part of the country. And, and so, you know, hasn't had the trouble with like excessive heat that like some other places have. I guess I wonder what you make of that concept of a climate refuge. Like is Duluth an oasis of sorts from the kind of apocalyptic scenarios that have been playing out in California? And in other places,
2: yeah. I mean, there was this just this incredible irony that this summer here in Minnesota, we've had really, really horrible air quality, almost, just about as bad as any day we had experienced in San Francisco. You know, up in the three hundred, almost four hundred on the air quality index, which is basically in the the hazardous category. We've had unprecedented drought here in Duluth, so there's fires burning in places that we would never seen. There is no getting away from climate change unless and until we address the root cause of the problem, which is the accelerating greenhouse gas emissions that we are putting into the atmosphere.
1: Hmm. I mean, you came to Duluth with that idea in mind, though, right? Like, this will be a place where we will be safer, like the air will be cleaner for me and my kids. Um, We won't. Have to be up against the the sort of worst of the climate crisis. That was part of your thinking and arriving. Yeah.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yes, it definitely was, and that was very quickly kind of shot down by, by life here. After after a year, um, we came here with the hope that it would be, you know, maybe lessened impact. But I think we've been shown that it's uh, that no place is truly safe from climate change.
1: I'm wondering if you like see yourself as a climate migrant and also what you would say to people in other parts of the world or or in California who are fearful and stressed out by and being hurt by, you know, like these changes that we're talking about, storms, drought, whatever it is, and are thinking about moving.
2: I do get this question a lot. A lot of people from California have reached out after your piece, John, um, and our conversation to ask about Duluth and to to be put in touch with real estate agents here. And, and so it's definitely top of mind. I mean, I've probably gotten, I mean, several dozen inquiries from Bay Area folks, you know, interested in potentially moving here.
1: And I kind of love that it, at least some people in Duluth think of it as the San Francisco of the North, which I,
2: it's so endearing. Is yeah, it's so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people either the first time I'd heard that was actually from you, so i i did I did some sleuthing <laughs> to make sure that that was actually and and yes, people people either laugh about it or they take it very seriously and say, "Oh, we're way better than the Bay Area." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean it is a city that's like it's got these beautiful hills that drop right down to the lake and there's a you know a nice bridge so you can see like the parallels. <laughs> I get it. you know so you all were in a situation where you could decide to move choose to move there you know there are lots of people who like either because they would have to cross a national border and can't do that because there's no such thing as like a climate refugee in international law or just people who can't like afford financially to make that move like I I'm wondering what do you think about that? And and if governments like, or other entities, if there should be like assistance or some sort of help for people to relocate if, if they really are in a dangerous area?
2: Yes, I mean, absolutely. I think there's at least two aspects to it that, that we communicate clearly about the fact that these aren't isolated incidents anymore, and what the risks to human health and life and property are. And then yes, Absolutely provide people with the assistance to be able to move if they want to. And I, I do think identifying what are those qualities of places that may be a little bit more suited to accept climate migrants. And we are starting to talk about that here in Duluth and talk about, you know, if we're being called a climate safe haven, let's live up to that. And so we're really starting to look at what do we need to do? And that includes protecting our Ecosystems, making sure there's housing, making sure that people who move here, that they are people with means don't exacerbate existing inequities that we have here in Duluth. It's, you know, kind of being thoughtful about all of those things that I think are much nearer on the horizon than we realize.
1: Yeah, I mean, it does seem like there's a um, an interesting, almost like economic opportunity for places that take climate mitigation seriously, that do take, you know, sort of planning to adapt to a warmer world seriously. And that, you know, like Duluth are just kind of positioned a little better in terms of access to resources or climate and all that stuff than some other parts of the world, knowing that nowhere is like totally safe, as you're saying. And I guess I'm wondering what you think about that in Duluth's case, like, what is that argument that it could make? What, what do you think like, could result in like a best case scenario? where it lives up to that title of being a climate refuge?
2: Yeah, I think one thing you know we have right now is there's a, a new um, natural gas plant that's being planned for what's called the Twin Ports region, which is um, just across the bridge here in, in Duluth. And the community here is saying, hey, if we're really serious about being a climate safe haven, we can't have new fossil fuel infrastructure. We need to really live up to that and move toward How do we get solar in a place that has such cold winters? What are our solutions? Like, you know, we need to focus on building efficiency. We need to retrofit our buildings so that in the winters we need to use less energy. I think there is almost endless possibility for a city to set itself up as like, we want to be that city that's going to welcome people from everywhere. We're going to have infrastructure. We have places to live. We're thinking about this strategically. We focus on equity and a just transition. There are good jobs here. I think that's, I mean, I think that's a place that a lot of people would want to live.
1: I'm guess I'm wondering what you think about that idea. Um, Duluth and other midwestern cities have certain advantages, I guess, even if they're not like climate safe or climate proof. Like, after having moved partly on that premise, but then you know, seeing that it's it's not it's not totally safe there. Like, do you still? I wonder what you think about this idea of people seeking out places where it's a little less risky, maybe, in the climate era?
2: Yes, there there, there may be cities that are better positioned, but I, I sort of think it's the more important variable is what local leaders are doing to prepare and how well they're, you know, are they facing this issue head on? Or do they recognize that this is coming are they you know making plans to shore up resilience for for their community um i think that's almost as important as you know kind of the geographic features of a place i i think we are ha- you know we're happy that that we moved here um but i think our idea that like we would come here and it would feel like we're free and you know we're out of danger and life is good and clean air you know i mean i think that was dispelled for us pretty quickly and that's made me want to work much harder at addressing the issue and i find solace in the fact that we're all going through this together that we've all started, sort of gone through this wormhole where we have to worry about our you know our safety in terms of climate impacts i guess i hope that that sort of helps us all see our shared humanity in this and that, that we are quite literally going through all of this together as a global human family.
1: Jamie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing this story with us.
2: Really appreciate your work, John, and the opportunity to, to talk to you and to talk about this, this topic.
1: That's Jamie Beck Alexander, the director of Drawdown Labs. She currently lives with her family in Duluth, Minnesota. To learn more about the great projects she and her team are working on, check out their website at drawdown.org. Next week, we're joined by the godmother of climate security, Sherry Goodman.
0: We can use our
1: power and our might and our leadership to model the kind of future we want both for the United States and for the planet. That's next week on Heat of the Moment. Heat of the Moment is a partnership between foreign policy and the climate investment funds. Our production staff includes Rosie Julin, Rob Sachs, Scott Andrews, Dan Efron, Laura Rossbrout Tellum. Claudia Tatey, and Zamone Perez. The Climate Investment Funds is a nonpartisan champion of climate action. Political views and opinions expressed in this series do not necessarily represent those of the Climate Investment Funds, foreign policy, or their partners. If you're interested in learning more about climate migration and other global topics, try checking out our foreign policy events. From virtual dialogues on global health and cryptocurrency, to summits on gender equality, FP Events brings groundbreaking insights and analysis in an engaging and interactive environment. To learn more about what FP Events has in store, visit foreignpolicy.com slash events. And of course, as always, make sure you click on that subscribe button to get updates about Heat of the Moment. Thanks for listening. ACAST.COM